All right, guys, welcome to the debrief. This is a debrief after our episode with legendary venture capitalist, A16Z partner, Chris Dixon. Chris Dixon on the podcast for the second time. I felt like this um, conversation was um, even more fun than our first. Like the first podcast was like about a year ago or so, David. And I remember back then it was like a big deal. Oh my God, we got Chris Dixon on the show. Oh my God. Yeah. And so you, you were fanboying super hard. I was fanboying because I've been a Chris Dixon fanboy since he like, I, I first discovered his writing like 2009 or 2010 or something like this. Um, and so, you know, that kind of uh, an interaction is a bit more formal-ish. Like he didn't really know us very well. We didn't know him very well. And I think was still being, very new. Bankless was still new. Uh, but this it felt super casual, super relaxed. We also had the video on, which I think makes a difference because you can actually like see reactions and it's just easier with video, isn't it? Yep. Um, yeah, more personal. Like I see you nodding yeah. your head. And so <laughs> I know that like you're agreeing, no, you're in agreement. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, so it makes podcasting way easier as well. Anyway, comfortable, casual conversation. I felt like we not only got into his head and his mental models, but he also just threw in some, uh, interesting curveballs that I'd never thought about. And, and some of the stuff he was saying, I felt like was uh, on the fly, like uh, f- free uh, flowing. And he was like, at one point he said, oh, I should make another tweet thread out of this, right? right? It's like, right. he's just thinking of new ideas as we were discussing. So anyway, overall, huge Chris Dixon fan. And uh, that was probably uh, my favorite episode with him I've, uh, I've ever heard. Yeah, the the format of Chris Dixon's like mental models, like the tweet threads, and then like uh, to like digesting that with him together on a podcast is like kind of how this industry moves forwards. Like, yes, like people come up with an idea, they put it out on Twitter for public consumption, public like the, you know a jury of public opinion, right? Like, yes. here's an idea I have, guys. Like, let the let the market of Twitter decide whether that's a good idea or not, and then like tw- Twitter can like accept or reject it. Usually Chris's threads get accepted because he's smart. That's why he's Chris. Uh, and then and then the thoughts like get upgraded to like the podcast sphere where it goes from like a tweet thread that takes five minutes or less to read to like a 90 minute podcast where three people just like unpack and digest the thing. And then that gets broadcasted even more. And then the industry tunes into the conversation and then the industry like understands these things. So this is, I feel like is a very just like great microcosm of how thought progresses in this industry. Yeah, totally. And you, you know, the thing Chris said early on, I, I uh, wanted to ask him, but we moved on to other subjects. It's like, uh, and so, you know, when, I, when we have a mental model at A16Z or I have a mental model, I, I put this out publicly, right? It's kind of a question of like, well, in the old, old model, you keep your ideas private, right? They're your proprietary right. edge. They're right. your investor secret and you don't share models, right? But like, that that's not the case in the world of the internet and certainly not the case more so with crypto. You want to put your ideas out there because that helps you refine your ideas. That's like, that's like where the, the iron is forged basically. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like even his ideas, and I think Chris would be the first one to admit this aren't just coming out of Chris Dixon's head. They're a synthesis. They're an amalgamation mm-hmm. of all sorts of other ideas right. that you kind of like distill down and you boil down, down all the way to the essence. And then you like throw that out in the public cruel Twitter sphere, mm-hmm. like people shit all over it. Right. And then you do another iteration and it gets right. better until you have kind of the, the final thought that's 
that's taken hold and caught on. That's how memes work. And I think these are also how mental models work. They have to be proven in the public sphere. So he's smart to do that. And it's, I think it's also really important. Um, crypto is inherently collaborative. And so sharing ideas is a collaborative act. And especially in the early days of crypto, like we kind of need to espouse these ideas that people come to figure out are good ideas because like we need to share the good ideas because we're in the formative years of crypto, right? So like we have to focus on the good things and like stop focusing on the bad things. And so- Oh yeah, he said that too, right? Like we, we need to um, tell the world all right. of the good crypto is doing. That's right. an important part of our narrative mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so people can stop having efforts on like supply chain blockchains and start focusing on like <laughs> tokens as like a digital primitive, like a digital website. Uh, right. And so like the it, it really just helps the, effic the, the efficiency of the industry at large if we can test these ideas in the public versus other people with other experiences and then digest them and then, and then spread them as gospel. So let's talk maybe about some of these mental models here, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a number of them. Maybe I'll start with the first one. Um, so I said this in the intro to the podcast about Web3, just mm -hmm. the mental model of Web3, because that in and of itself is a model, right? right. You think of like- A number, yeah. Yeah. What does what does Web3 imply? Well, it's, it's saying crypto is this third iteration of, of the internet, right? And it's sort of a, a riff on the previous iteration. And I said in the intro that there have been times where I've been much more skeptical of that lens and of that narrative, um, particularly 2017, 28, 2019. I felt like there was a lot of empty Web3, let's call it, where there were, um, quite frankly, some Silicon Valley types of folks who thought that they didn't need the monetary aspect of crypto at all like rejected the premise that I guess Bitcoin and experiments like it were social experiments is what I would say, or were like um, social movements, political movements. They weren't about the monetary system at all. It was just about this technology. And that to me felt very empty, if that makes sense. And right, like I felt very much like, hey, the use case first has got to be right. money and value and finance. And so I don't understand the whole push to like decentralize Facebook, right? Because what we've created is this primitive for digital scarcity. And so, yeah, we're going to make digitally scarce things like money and finance and, you know, collectibles, right? That's going to happen first. And all of the web three stuff felt so empty to me in the early days. I think that's changed for me, but I wanted to get your take on that. Is that something that you felt in the past or like, what does web three what did it mean to you and what does it mean to you now? Yeah, Web3, I think, I, I agree with the lack of interest in the Web3 narrative early on in 2018, 2019. Uh, but I also think it got unfairly tainted by like ICOs, which would be like, yeah. all right, like we're going to make this Web3 thing and then here's our ICO. And the model, the, pre the story that they preached was very, very Web3. It was very, very push uh, push the markets out to the fringes, like gut out the center, uh, put, push value out to the people that actually contribute value, make a network out of these things. And then you would go look at the ICO and be like, well, the thing that you're building has nothing to do with the Web3 vision that you're articulating. So the Web3 okay. vision was articulated. It was never just, it was just like brutalized. Can we actually talk examples here? Because I don't know if you're jogging yeah. your memory for any examples from sure. like 2017, 2018, but I remember one example, canonical example was like, Ethereum is going to create a decentralized Uber. Right. right? Yeah. That was canonical a constant. Example. Yeah. I saw there was like right? a bajillion ICOs like that. 
there were ICOs for this. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, another was uh, Ethereum is going to create a decentralized Twitter. There are actual attempts like this on chain. Every time you'd post a tweet, it would cost you like, I don't know, 10 Guay in gas. Or well, I mean, it would cost you almost nothing in Guay because it was super cheap at the time. Yeah, yeah, but the, I guess. But the, the point is, is that you would actually have to write a transaction to make it. Cheap. Yeah, and it was, it was very, it was silly. It was clunky. It didn't right. make sense. It was there were also, there were also these like decentralized identity solutions that right. weren't actually like decentralized. Right. Right. It was, it, and there was just this overall sense that we're going to build like an Apple App Store. We're going to take everything in Web two. And it's going to be like an app store, but now it's decentralized. So it's going to be a, a D app store. D -app yeah, store. we're going to take Something Facebook. No, there's no more nonsensical things other than a D app store. <laughs> okay, so this this is what drove me crazy about Web3. Right. And why um, I felt like I kind of distanced right. myself from it and really focused on like the money narrative, DeFi. the DeFi narrative, that aspect of it. But now I'm starting to come around to it. Anyway. Those are some examples, but like I interrupted your flow. So that was then. What do you right. think now? Yeah, I, I think now we're actually, we're seeing, um, especially with Chris's mental model, in the instantiation of, of Web3 principles in more and more things, more and more things. Whereas um, like all of these protocols that now have governance tokens, which are very, very different than the DeFi protocols of 2018 and 2019, which didn't have any governance pro, uh, tokens. What that means, that follows the same principle of Web3, which is uh, services where there are no like internal takers. There are, there is the, the take rate is really, really low because it's a protocol. And then the value is held at the fringes, held at the periphery, which is where the people are. And I think that is the fundamental structure of whatever this hell this whole web three is it's web three i feel like is kind of like the original version of like the og idea of a dao not not like digital organizations like bankless dao or all of, you know friends with benefits dao but the og version of a dao where there's code at the center and humans at the periphery so like uniswap is like actually the true version of a dao uniswap is web three because it's a platform that has all of these operators, these value consumers and value producers that exists around the periphery. And then the center point is the thing that takes the least in order to facilitate that trade. And so when Chris is talking about like Web3 is a returning to the Web1 one model where the individuals are the value contributors, Web3 is that same model where we have these all these applications at the core and it's the individuals using them that actually contribute value and receive value from these uh, applications. Unlike Facebook, unlike YouTube, which are like closed loop, uh, just maximally extractor uh, centralized companies. Yeah, I agree. So I agree that uh, Uniswap is Web3 because of it, its um, ability to disintermediate and you know take take less of rent, I suppose, reward its owners, all these principles. Yeah, although, owned by the users, I think is an important characteristic of Web3. Owned by the users. Although like, I still gravitate towards the lens of, yes, it's Web3, but it's definitely also like a, a money protocol. It's definitely also right. like DeFi. It's definitely also bankless. It's part of this whole money movement. Mm -hmm. And the, the other reason maybe I... Um, used to push back a little bit more against Web3 is because I felt like many uh, from kind of the Silicon Valley uh, ilk, they didn't really think much of the store of value idea of like a Bitcoin mm -hmm. or an Ether, right? They didn't actually think this was a monetary revolution. Right. I mean, like I always, I always did, mm -hmm. you know? And so like, I feel like there's been some meeting in the middle 
where now I feel like Silicon Valley and people like Chris Dixon are like, I, I see it. Like mm-hmm. he, he even said Bitcoin, he referred to them as money, right? Okay. He, he even talked about um, uh, love potions, SLP, what is it? Um, the Axie smooth right. love potions right. um, being money in the Philippines, right? Like medium I, of exchange, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Medium of exchange. Like I, t- I totally agree. So I feel like some of that tribe has come a little closer to seeing the money side of things. And some of the money tribe has come closer to seeing the web three side of things. So anyway, it's this convergence that I'm seeing, which is, which is kind of cool. And I think both are true, all are true. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate his, uh, his whole lens on this space. I think it's, it's unique and interesting yeah. and it's a good thesis. I think Chris focuses on web three as a concept that like collapses the cost of things. And that's what like investors really get, get like stoked over is they see a, an application that takes a previous product and collapses the cost of it. Right. Yes. Uh, and so like just scale, scale through protocols rather than centralized companies, uh, collapsing the cost of coordination, collapsing, collapsing the cost of, uh, financial, uh, systems. And so that's what, what Chris really sees as like the investment thesis of Web3 is like all these same Web2 things, but now it's protocols collapsing the cost by automating this. Well, engine. like someone like Chris isn't here to disrupt the central banks, I don't think. Correct. Yeah. Huh. Not in the same way that like Bitcoiners are, yeah. right? Uh, I think he sees, I think he sees, anyway, he sees that disruption, but not the others. But Okay. Um, I think another really cool thing about this podcast that I thought was interesting is the way that Chris was talking about, especially in the second half of the episode, he's talking about like user sovereignty with their assets and how uh, having an inventory of assets that you take from website to website um, really puts a lot of power in the hands of the individual. That's the metaverse. Chris is talking about the metaverse. I'm not sure if he actually used the word metaverse while while in this podcast. I don't remember it, but he's talking about the same thing as when we had our metaverse empowerment. Inventory, yeah. bring your own right. inventory. Some of these have terms the metaverse. Are super the, each website renders the metaverse around the objects. We yes. we said these same things in different terms on our podcast. Yes, we did, and I I love that model of the world, and I mm-hmm. think that's uh that's a really powerful model. I guess that gets into his idea of like tokens are the new websites, right? Mm-hmm. Like that concept is right. th- these. These tokens are the basic primitive. These tokens are essentially your inventory that you can bring with you. One of, I thought, the other powerful parts of this episode is, um, I think Chris knows Silicon Valley, big tech, inside and out, right? Like he's seen, you know, two, I guess maybe three. He he said there are four different, you know, revolutions, uh, I guess, of the internet, right? Now I know we're on web three, but like, he included mobile in that and he's seen all of them and he, his comments about Silicon Valley were super interesting to me. It's like big tech is basically stagnant. Um, when I asked the question of, do you think web two is peaked? He almost said, yes, he wasn't ready to fully commit, but like, I feel like qualified as answer. Yeah. Everything he He said after that was saying web two had peaked, right? No founders anymore. Google company, 125,000 employees, when was the last time Google built right. a new cool product? Like, yeah. what are Coolest they actually out of doing Apple was the M1 chips and AirPods. Yeah, where's INFT? You know, like, like what they're sleeping on this entire space, right? Like, they're not doing anything. Um, Twitter is like they become uh, rent extracting. So, it's kind of interesting to me. And he said, quite quite frankly, I'm bored. I was bored. Right. Like the internet has become a boring place. We've got four Disneylands, and there's no 
like New right. York City, there's no culture, there's no right. life. It's all just sterile and boring, and I hate it right. until crypto. Right. And I really resonated with that because, um, you know, Chris is someone who's very much, I think, uh, positioned. He could have become an incumbent, basically, right? Which is like, uh, I'm sure he really did well in the last few, you right. know, revolutions of the internet. And um, he could have just not participated in this one, not tried to rock the boat, not tried to disrupt anything, um, but that's not his nature, <laughs> you know? And it's like, so it, that was a really cool, I, I think, uh, part of the conversation too, is just hearing his take on the stagnation of big tech. And when we asked the question, are they going to make any moves in Web3? He was like, nah, I don't think, I don't think so. I think Honestly, they'll be that's, caught that's preferable. Yeah. Yeah. Just stay out. They're going to, they would mess it up anyways. Like keep Twitter, Facebook, Google, Amazon out of web three as long as possible so that the entrepreneur, the native entrepreneurs who align with the ethos of this whole thing, build their shit first. Yeah. Right. Like give them the opportunity. Um, it, I think it's funny. They're just like the banks, aren't they? They're just yeah. like incumbent, stagnant, yep. about to get disrupted. Don't even know mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, that struck me when Chris was talking was like, Chris, he's an internet veteran. He's seen it all, right? He's been through all eras of the internet. Uh, and when somebody that's been through all eras of the internet says that he's happy and glad that the internet is weird again, like <laughs> as if we need any more that's further validation signal. that crypto is cool and, yep. and real, but that's another one. Like when the, yeah. when the internet gets weird, it's, it's weird. because we've discovered a frontier. Like we're on the frontier and like the, that's where things get weird is on the frontier. Like all of a sudden we have this like reason for a bunch of Twitter accounts to put like these weird apes as their Twitter like profile picture. For some reason we've unlocked that weirdness. And that's one of the reasons, like the incentive there is, is illustrative of how real crypto is. So he mentioned a book talking about mm -hmm. like the realness of crypto. He mentioned a book about um, designing cities so mm. like describing like mm -hmm. the perfect kind of neighborhood in your right. city. Right. Uh, I'm gonna have to go re-listen to that. Right. So make sure I capture the book because I actually want to dive into that. But a, a really striking part of the conversation, I felt like a thread, the through line throughout the entire conversation was this idea of like, you can't have that life. You can't have that organic quality. You can't have that weirdness. Mm -hmm. You can't have that bizarre type behavior unless you actually have this thing it's called private property, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's like going back to that analogy of Disneyland. Um, you can't start a store in Disneyland right. because you have to ask Michael right. Eisner's permission for the CEO of Disney is right. And like, you can't, you, you, you can't have your own property. You have to rent it from them. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's so per, actually, you live a permissioned life. Yeah. And that's actually the internet today, isn't it? Yeah. We don't even realize that all of the web properties that we use today, Twitter, Apple, uh, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of them are Disneyland. Mm -hmm. It's like, no wonder we're not seeing weirdness or innovation. Right. We're just like props. All the weirdness gets deplatformed. De yeah. And, like, and oh, you're acting weird. Please escort this person out of the, the park, please. Well, we can't make it our own because we don't right. even own it. Right. right. And so we're just subject to their rules, their algorithms, their like whims. And we show up there, right. but like we can't make it a home. Right. And so no wonder it feels dead and, right. and stagnant and sterile. Mm -hmm. It's because there's, there's really no life because there's no pri private property. Right. Ryan, are you ready for our Twitter accounts to get deplatformed? 
on Twitter. <laughs> Do you think that's really going to happen? I don't think Chris does. Chris does. Like he said, in the context of like, it was some kind of a web three uh, purge or like persecution. Yeah. Web or two like will, will purge web three because they know it's going to come eat its lunch. That's what he said. I, that's exactly what he said. I know it's yeah. hard for me to believe that though. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. so I, 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 I there's a possibility definitely, right. but like, I tend to think that what will happen is um, Web 2 will basically capitulate and start to incorporate, start to try to find the wins in Web 3 and like incorporate some those of them, features. Yeah. Then so, like the some banks, will resist, some will adopt. Same with the banks. Like right. I think the banks will do this too. It's like they won't. I mean, imagine if, um, and some banks have done this. You have a Coinbase transaction or Gemini transaction. They'll mm-hmm. like, you know, send right. you a letter and say, right. sorry, we're disconnecting your right. account. Like, but if they do that on mass, that pisses off too many customers. And right. then they go to the, the banks, banks who do allow it. Right. Exactly. I feel like that could happen, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe there's a world where web two is that threatened mm-hmm. by what we're doing in crypto that they, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I say, bring it, you know, yeah. I think crypto by that time will be like well-positioned to, uh, be quite all right. Yeah. Um, it would only, ha- it would be super dystopic, but it would only really work if there was like a concerted effort across all the platforms. Like if Bankless, if we lost our Twitter accounts and our YouTube accounts as a media platform that had, that has a message to get out, we would actually be pretty, pretty damn hamstrung until yeah. we figured out all the alternatives. Yeah. But if we lost discord, it'd be over, man. It'd be, oh, God, be screwed. It would, yeah. You know, we were just, be we no just, show. I, we just be wouldn't be, if we didn't have discord, we wouldn't have just even, even started the company. <laughs> 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 that's the one that can't go rogue on it. can't go evil <laughs> good thing totally most of crypto, uh, discord's revenue comes from crypto people so like we're just like eating them from the inside out that's great we're happy to happy to do that is that true by the way do you think yeah. that's uh true oh definitely i mean discord, well, discord I guess, is gamers and crypto that's what it is Ax, Ax, axie has the largest discord um, right. on the planet right, right now funnily right? enough axie the intersection of gaming and crypto has the largest discord group like that's not a coincidence <laughs> You know, the other thing about all of this is we didn't really get to because um, so p- people should know this about A16Z. Of course, Chris and A16Z, they're all registered investment advisors. So that, you know, guides a lot of the things they can and cannot say. So we can't talk about specific uh, investments with Chris. He's not like able to talk about that. But like what I've seen, David, is A16 is in every freaking deal <laughs> I've seen. Every roll up <laughs> where we're talking about the races uh-huh. of the week, it's like, a16Z, A16Z, A16, yeah. A16, billion like, dollar valuation, A16Z, billion yeah, dollar valuation, A16Z. everywhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. I see them everywhere on every single deal. And this is a strategy that has, I think, actually worked fairly well right. for A16Z. Mm-hmm. And they're continuing it. a $2.2 billion fund. Okay. That's right. a lot of money mm-hmm. to spend. And Chris said, which I thought was interesting, um, block space. I will buy all the block right. space you can give me. Right. Which is an interesting take, right? Which it's is definitely it's definitely less a Silicon Valley take and more of a crypto native take. It is. It's it's a crypto native take. Although, although, okay, we didn't get into this. I would really love Chris's perspective on like modular blockchains, you know, the podcast yeah. we just did. Yep. And like which block space do you think is gonna make it and right. which block space is not gonna make it? Because one thing, of course, about A16Z and many other uh, VC firms like this is they have invested in layer twos like Optimism and like the ZK rollups of the world, like all sorts of layer twos. 
Um, but they've also invested in the ETH killers, right. other layer ones. Right. Um, they just made a big investment, I think, in Solana a few months ago, for instance. I'm not sure what else they're in, but like I've seen them in near. They've been in tons. Right. They're, they're in every layer ones. Yeah. And and they've also like those investments have performed pretty well for them. Totally. But like, what do you think his take is on this? I think, I think he doesn't, if we asked him that, like, Hey, Chris, like, what do you think about the L1 wars? I don't think he would have an opinion that would uh, be inspiring to us for people that really, really pay attention to this uh, side of the world. Uh, because A16Z is, is well, while Chris has definitely moved into like this uh, understanding the monetary side of this industry, understanding the dynamics between block L, L1 wars, I think is kind of like 300, 400 level content when Chris is, 300, 400 level content about web three, not necessarily about like, well, the but new monetary I, I don't era. know that I, that might be discounting it. Like, I think he, I think he knows his shit. Like from an engineering perspective, they have a whole yeah, infrastructure. Yeah. He did say he, he's getting into like understanding the whole ZK tech, which is, have, if you understand ZK tech, you can kind of understand everything. They have 30 people at A16Z. Like, I, I think part of this is like, uh, if, if, if we tell him, Hey, Chris, like, here's our thesis for modular blockchains. Right. And why? something like Ethereum or other modular chains are going to win out. Um, he'd be like, yeah, well, look at my portfolio. Right. Here's a whole bunch of other layer ones that have performed pretty damn well. Right. Yeah. Legitimacy um, by performance. Yeah. And also yeah. like um, actually like just investor performance is right. kind of what you want as a venture right. capitalist. That's what you're aiming for mm -hmm. is right. It's not necessarily to, um, you know, is is basically, that's how you know you're right. right. <laughs> number goes up. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the truth is. If your number goes up, you were right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I, don't I, know. I mean, it's it's one of those things where like maybe Chris does believe the modular blockchain thesis, but it's still not enough of an incentive to put all of his eggs in one basket. Like generally, investors don't put their eggs in one basket, especially investors like A16Z. It's the opposite yeah. of what they do. Yeah, absolutely. So, and they're definitely everywhere, and they definitely have a big budget. Um, the other thing we didn't too much is regulation. I don't know if you got a sense of whether Chris is like how he was feeling about regulation. Uh, he definitely thinks there's been a crackdown post Biden right. Right. feels like. Um, My gut take is that he would kind of take a, a Eric Peters uh, approach where he's like, yeah, regulations here, but like ignore it. Like just, just, it's going to happen. Just whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the last, the last part of this is where he closed, which maybe we'll, we'll close this out with is um, his thought on, his thoughts on the super cycle. He had a mm -hmm. unique take there. Right. Yeah. What'd you think about that? Yeah. That, and that is one of the things in, in addition to all the money coming into the space, the reason why money is coming into the space is for a number of reasons. One of them being that there's a lot of product products to invest in. There's a lot of ideas. There's actually surface area to invest in. So allowing people like Chris to actually do his job, unlike the 2018, 2019 bear market, when there was no products to invest in. Uh, and so I really like the model of just like a product development super cycle, which goes along with Anthony Cezano's um, adoption super cycle, like ignoring prices, like Ethereum and, and DeFi and crypto is going to be adopted at a rate never, ever seen before. And that goes in line with uh, how product development in this space is accelerating at a rate never, ever seen before. Uh, and so ultimately that's what creates asset prices, uh, increased valuations, but asset prices generally lag these things. And additionally, just A16Z raised $2.2 billion, but like the industry as a whole, all funds, maybe ballpark raised $10 billion. It's probably a very conservative estimate. $10 billion to inject into crypto 
raises over the next like year, two years, three years. A decent, very healthy portion of that money is going to be buying crypto assets, either directly or by paying people that are working in this space who are crypto pilled, right? Who believe in crypto assets. So this is going to go to paying the salaries of people that work in crypto. People that work in crypto don't store their money in dollars. They store their money in crypto assets. So all of this money coming in eventually flows down to buying the monies of the space. So that's, yeah. that's bullish. Yeah. And I think he was, he was most bullish. I saw a lot, like there was a lot of energy from him coming, uh, like out through this conversation. I think he was, Mm -hmm. he was most excited about all the talent that was flooding the space. He's like every day there's a new team that's exciting that, you know, we might want to invest in. And that has just massively ratcheted up from last year at this time, or like two years ago at this time. Mm -hmm. So he sees the talent starting to flood into the space too. And you know, like the tools have gotten just so much better, right? Like the infrastructure has gotten so much better to build on top of. So like the, you know, the, the product cycle Mm -hmm. is, uh, is in full swing, I guess. And I, he's not bearish on the product cycle. That's for sure. Every day that we can stave off a bull market, like we saw, or a bear market, like we saw in 2018, 2019 is a day where so much more gets built and at at a faster and faster rate. Right. Yeah. That's why I don't hate these, like, um, crab market doldrums ish. Right. right. I don't so long as prices point. aren't going down. Yeah. Fl- and flat, if flatten up here, only. If we stay here for a bit, like I'm happy with that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Like if we just shot up, you know, another five X from here. Four, and... 4K for 2021, 5K for 2022, 6K <laughs> for 2023. Then maybe $100,000 after that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Something <laughs> like that. All right, man. Anything else? Nothing for me. Guys, that has been The Debrief. Thanks a lot.